0: Pump up the volume on your parenting with Parent Pump Radio. Tune into something different that makes a difference. At Parent Pump Radio, instead of a ripple, we choose to create a splash. Get energized, get inspired, and get informed
1: with how to parent in the new millennium with your host and parent coach super guide, Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. Welcome to Parent Pump Radio. Please subscribe to our RSS feed so you'll be automatically notified of new shows. If you're looking for a speaker for your organizations or event, please go to my website at integrativeminds.com to learn more about what I offer and contact me at info at integrativeminds.com to schedule a meeting time. Our guest today is known as Madam Money, and she is the author of the best-selling book, Financial Fornication. She has an extensive professional background and experience in the financial services industry ranging from bank officer, operation consultant, to vice president of lending of several financial institutions across the country. She is also the host of the popular podcast, Financial Fornicating with Madam Money. She's here to inspire you guys to have more pleasure and enjoy relationship with your finances to live your best life ever. So ladies and gentlemen, with no further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Tara Jackson, also known as Madam Money. Hi, Tara.
0: Hey there. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me on. So I know you have a new book coming out. Tell us a little bit about that book.
0: Well, the new book is called Four Financial Languages, The Secrets to Having Successful Financial Conversation. I've noticed throughout my years of consulting with families, couples, individuals, that one of the major causes of turmoil in families is the Financial conversation or the cash conversations, right? Number one of the number one reasons of divorce is money issues, right? Right. right. So- I've always been curious as to why do we have this conflict? Yeah, it may be from our backgrounds. It could be because of behaviors. But then I realized that a lot of the couples that I was consulting or counseling, they weren't relatively saying the same thing or wanting the same things. They were just communicating differently about it. And so I, when I realized, okay, they're they're saying the same thing, but not really saying the same thing, it reminded me of the love languages. Oh, I love that, that book. You know you need touch is that your love language but i mean you know affirmation if I keep Giving you affirmation and I don't give you touch, you're not being filled up with love. Same thing when we're dealing with financial conversations, we have different financial languages. So, if a saver is only hearing spending, 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 they're going to cringe. And if a spender is being told that they can't spend and you got to save and you got to be on budget, they cringe. But they ultimately want the same thing they want a home, they want retirement, they want to start investing, but they just communicate differently. And that's because they speak different financial languages. And when I finally realized, oh, that's it, I was able to get couples to now learn each other's languages and better
1: communicate about money. Everybody's individual and everybody is custom and, and we view things in life and what we need differently. So it's great that you have broken that down. Even communication, we have auditory, visual, kinesthetic, Uh AD. And so why not the way we think about finances and money? That's awesome. Since there are different financial languages, how does it come into play when you're trying to figure this out with your spouse?
0: That's a really good question because the first way to solving that, I call it a dollar dysfunctional dialogue, is to really understand, one, what is your dominant financial language? So there are four dominant financial languages, saving, spending, investing, and giving. Those are the dominant financial language. Now, there's a lot of people that speak different financial languages, like I am fiscally bilingual. So I can speak, communicate, understand all four Financial languages. It's almost like the disc, the personality. Yeah, yeah. You may have a dominant personality, but you may have sub. All of it. Just like your default. That's one is that's your, your go to. Exactly. So when you understand your dominant financial language, then you understand what your triggers are, your negative and your positive triggers are. For example, my dominant language is spending. I'm a spender. My tr- negative trigger is someone telling me budget. I can't spend, save, and all that stuff. So if someone says, we, you can't spend because we have to be on a budget, when I hear budget, I hear die, deprivation, diet,
1: I can't. <laughs> Strangulation.
0: Whatever. Right, right, you know, murder. Uh, so... Yeah. <laughs> When someone tells me that I can't spend my money, I promise you I'm going to spend my money, your money, and everybody else's money, right?
1: (laughs) You're like, watch me.
0: (laughs) Right. Those are negative triggers. So I have to be very careful with those because I want to save, but instead of saving, I need to spend money. So I have a spending plan. Anything that allows me to spend on savings, investing, or giving those are positive triggers. They're pleasure principles because we get high off of the transaction. So when I understand that about me as a spender, I understand that when a saver is talking about budget and saving, they just mean I need to spend more money into this bucket or spend more money to my future self, or spend more money into investing. But not only do I need to understand my financial language and how I speak, but I need to understand understand my spouse or my mate's financial language. Because if I only speak in my language, they're not going to understand me. So if I'm married to a saver, they're going to cringe every time I talk about spending money, right? <laughs> they're going to be like, why won't she stay on budget? Why yeah. Why won't she save, you know? And so I have to respect and learn my partner's financial language so that I can communicate with them. So for example, if I want to spend money on something, I have to involve a saver in a transaction. Can you help me find a good deal? Can you help me shop around so we can save some money and stay within budget? So now I have communicated in their language and now we can have
1: a better dialogue about money. That's awesome. Okay. There's spender, saver, investor. And then what was the last one? And giver. Giver. Okay. Yeah. How does that look like? So with a giver, the giver is unique. Okay. So
0: the you, the unique thing about a giver is that they have a primary and then I call them subprimary. It's not necessarily a secondary. It's like a subprimary. Because a giver will spend money on other people. They don't necessarily spend money on themselves, but they spend money to show their love. They give gifts. This is the person that gives gifts all the time. My grandmother was like this, right? So she would go shopping, not for her, to find different things that she can give to other people. But she never bought anything for herself. A spender can be a narcissistic spender. Like, I, I've made this money. I deserve this. I'm buying for me. But a giver that's also a spender buys things or spends money on other people. It's the same thing as a giver that's also a saver. The reason why they're able to give money is because innately they're a saver. So they always have money to give. And a giver that's also an investor will... Invest in other people's business. They give their money because they want to invest in other people's businesses and help people. Like, you know, my son wants to start a business. Let me give him money so he can start up because it's a potential return on investment. So givers are so special and unique because they never look for anything for themselves. They're very altruistic and they want to give to other people because their joy is helping people. So this
1: is really important that your spouse understands where his language is so that you can come on the same page. Now, let's take some tactics like you were saying. What if you have someone who's a giver with, say, a spender? What would that look like? What would the conversation sound like? And that's funny because
0: in my book, I talk about the right and the wrong way to communicate Um, to a giver about spending and to a spender about giving, right? So there's two different dialogues that happen there. So a spender will probably want to spend money, buy stuff for themselves or, you know, because it's in it for the pleasure principle. A giver may or may not want to buy a whole bunch of stuff, but they want to give everything away. And a spender is like, no, give it away or give it to me but whatever. So the conversation that a spender needs to have with a giver it is to identify what the giver's ultimate goals are. What is the giver's goals? They want to be able to help certain people and do this. Okay, well, let's spend money on them, but let's also give to ourselves. Let's give to each other. Let's give to yourself because you, you, know, you deserve this as well. So we, spenders don't have a problem buying things for themselves. Givers sometimes have a problem with buying a whole bunch of stuff for themselves. So we have to convince them sometimes that it's okay. There you have a need, we have a need. Let's spend money by giving to ourselves too. Oxygen mask on first. So the conversation in my book I go a little bit more in detail of the do's and don'ts when it comes to communicating like a spender and a giver, or a giver and a spender, you know, it, it can be very challenging depending on the conversation. But once you understand, the giver ultimately wants to help people. So we have to identify what is your, I call it your, your giant giving goal. What, what is that big giving goal that you want to do? And some people may say, I want to help people not be homeless or I want to do this. So we have to draw them in so they're not giving all their money away to everybody else and say, okay, well, let's allot this to them, but let's give to yourself or let's spend on yourself or let's save on yourself. So because they have a lot, you know, hard time sometimes doing for themselves.
1: Big question. What if you have a saver and a spender in relationship? This probably happens a lot. Yeah, this happens more than. Yeah. So that's probably the bigger one. So what tactics can you use to communicate with each other? The
0: best way to communicate with each other is to one, go on a real money date. And I'll explain to you what a real money date is with couples. But once you, you know, be very careful with the trigger words with each other. Okay. So like I said, um, a, sa- a spender's negative triggers, budget, can't, we hear die, deprivation. So we want to hear how we can spend money on different things, even if it's savings. Now a saver needs to hear budget. They, they need safety and secure security. That's why a saver is not always an investor. Because an investor likes risk, and a saver doesn't want to lose their money.
1: Right. right. Okay.
0: So we have to talk. Let's talk about how we can spend money within budget, so we can save more. Can we shop around to look for a better deal? Um, a save a spender can say, you know, a saver can say to a spender, you know what? We have two hundred dollars extra to spend this month. What are we going to spend it on? Because spenders need parameters. Because if you tell us not to spend money, we're going to spend everything. But if you let us know how much we do have to spend, we're going to get excited and we'll spend within the parameters, right? So that's like a budget. You just can't say the word budget.
1: It's like me on a diet. If you tell me every food I can't eat, now I want to eat it. This is part of the subconscious mind. You got to tell it what it wants to do, not what it can't. So if you tell me all the great foods I can eat and how exciting it can eat, I'm going
0: to enjoy eating those foods. Because as soon as you tell me I can't have a Big Mac, my brain automatically wants a Big Mac. Because it,
1: it p- brings up the Big Mac, and then it has to try to delete the Big Mac. <laughs> exactly. Because our brain, sometimes we can't, we, we don't hear the word can't. Yeah, negative. It does not hear a negative. We hear the noun.
0: So if you say bananas, apples, vegetables, and all that, okay. But
1: then if you say Big Mac, I didn't hear the word can't. So now my subconscious now wants a Big Mac. It's like saying, don't think of the blue tree. Like the first thing you gotta do is think about the blue tree, and then in order not to think about the blue the tree. tree, right? And it's just like the same thing with
0: the universe, right? Yeah. So exactly. you tell the universe what you want. You never tell the universe What's what you what don't, you don't want.
1: want. Absolutely, because the universe will give you everything that you say. Right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so, in what ways can you? promote more happiness in the relationship
0: the best way to do it is to have a real money date right so when I in my book for financial languages I talk about the money date now most people think a money date is sitting at the dining room or kitchen table going over the budget and telling us what we can and can't spend so if you have a spender there they're gonna disconnect. And they never want to have a money date with you ever again. So you have to think about it this way: If I go on a date with someone and all they do during the date is tell me everything that I can't do, can't eat, or whatever, I promise you will never go on a date again. Right? Right? It's not a fun date. So you want to one incorporate something fun? Maybe you go out to dinner. A movie go out for drinks or whatever with couples you know married your mates you want to have some form of intimacy you want to include the intimacy because i talk about the chakras and where certain chakras are placed i love in, you it, and why it's important to invoke those chakras before you have a conversation because if you invoke certain chakras before you have the conversation, now you're open to creativity, you're open to compromise, and then you want to start talking about goals. What are your you know, financial goals? You want to buy a house, you want to retire, we want to travel, you want to do all this. Okay, now let's talk about what do we need to do in order to move towards that? Oh, uh, well, maybe we need to start putting more money aside on here. And so when a spender understands how they can spend future-wise, like I want to travel for my retirement. I get to spend money when I retire. But in order to spend money when I retire, I have to start putting some money aside to be able to do that. So now the spender is more compromising with saving more
1: money. And then it makes you want to have more money days like, oh, that was fun. Let's do that again. I love that you include the chakras. There's this whole energetic side, the third eye your intuition, your heart chakra, all these things. Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. There's a certain chakra that creates, you know, creativity, procreation.
1: Sexuality,
0: sensuality. Exactly. And you want to invoke that because that's where the creativity comes from. That's where the compromise comes from. That's where the happiness comes from. And when you're in that mode, now you're open to new ideas, to different perspectives. But if you go into a money date and all you hear is we can't do this, we have to save more, we have to do this, you're closed and you really don't want to compromise. Because a spender doesn't want to say that they can't spend and a saver doesn't want all their money spent to, you know, spent an investor wants to be able to get a return on investor investment. But if they're married to a saver, the saver doesn't want to
1: lose all the money. What's the biggest mistake you found when it comes to couples, when they're talking about finances and they don't even realize it?
0: The biggest mistake is believing that you're right, that your way is right. Is that the way? That's just a general rule, I think. You know, I'm just <laughs> saying. So, for example, a saver always believes they're right. Right, yeah. You're a spender. You shouldn't be a spender. You invest too much money. Why are you giving your money away? We need to s- save because you never have an, you know you never know an emergency or whatever. saver always thinks they're right. An investor always thinks they're right. If we don't invest money, our money's not going to make money for ourselves. A giver always believes they're right. Well, if you don't give, you'll never receive. So we give to the universe. A spender always thinks they're right. YOLO. You only live once. I, I, you know, I work hard for this money. I should be able to enjoy it. So the bad thing is to believe that your way is the right way and that your mate should do what you do because that's not always the case. And it's just like the love languages. Just because you need affirmation doesn't mean I need it. I may need quality time or I may need touch. And you don't have to tell me how great I am, but you need to show me. We have to respect that your way is not wrong, it's different. A saver is not better than a spender, investor, giver. None of them are better than each other. Where it comes bad is in excess. So if you are a hoarder of money, that could be bad. If you are an excessive spender, that could be bad. If you invest in every business you have and you don't make any money and you lose your money, that could be bad. And if you give all your money away, That can be bad, but there is a balance. They're all the same good. They're all, they can all be the same bad. So respecting that your mate just has a different way of seeing it
1: and your way is not always right, but it's not wrong. Very good point. It's just some blind spots that we don't see. And we just need that different perspective. Be open to what the other person is saying and seeing how you can implement that. I'm sure there's time when you may need to bring in a financial advisor. Would you recommend someone bring a third party in for that? I do. And the thing is, there's a difference between a financial advisor and a financial
0: coach, right? So a lot of people, when they hear financial advisors, they think, oh, I'm not ready for that yet. I don't have enough money to invest. Um, I don't have enough money to, you know, pay for someone to do that. So I, I, I call it the difference between basic training versus fighting the war, right? If someone wants to be a soldier in a war. The first thing they have to do is go through basic training. So they go through the basic training, which gets their discipline ready. They get, you know, they, their mind shift There has to be an alteration of the mind shift to prepare them for battle. So when they go out for battle, they're already prepared. A financial coach could be that basic training, get you the basics of the budgeting or the spending plan, the discipline, the mindset. So when you are ready to deal with a financial advisor, where there may be either a paid financial advisor or investing money or doing anything like that, you're prepared. But I do recommend that you have someone, a financial expert, you know, myself, you know, I'm a financial professional, financial consultant, and a financial counselor, that you have a third party, because if you can't get over the fact that you're right, and your mate thinks they're right, you may need a third party to help you with the
1: conversation of
0: compromise.
1: And sometimes the third party can say the exact same thing that you've been saying or your spouse saying, but you just hear it differently.
0: Think about it this way with our kids. We tell our kids something all the time, and it takes a stranger to say the same thing for them to actually believe it, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So it's not that they didn't believe you. They just needed confirmation that what you were saying was not necessarily a selfish motive. So I have to look at it that way that my son believed me, but he needed confirmation that I wasn't just saying it to him
1: because I'm mom. So now that you mentioned son, how can we involve our children in this conversation about family and finances?
0: The great thing about once the, once the parents are on the same page and not working against each other, but working with each other, it's important to involve the kids, to ask them, what are their goals? What would they like to do? And incorporate them in family financial goals. One of the things that I love to incorporate kids with is if we want to save money, to involve them in the process of finding the best deals when we go grocery shopping. It took them a while to get it. But when he finally got it, I didn't really care anymore. So I wanted to buy the name brand stuff, but he would be the one said, mom, no, don't buy that. You can get this $2 cheaper if you buy this brand. So I involved him in that process. A way to involve the family in investing conversation is to do what I call an investing scavenger hunt. So you go around the house, find something that you eat the most buy the most that you like the most, find out who the manufacturing company is, see if that company is on the stock exchange, find out how much the the price is, and then look at if it's going up or down. That's the biggest thing. Is it going up or is it going down? If it's going up, then decide as a family if you're going to buy one or two shares as a family in the investment and watch it progress that way. And so that gets the kids involved with understanding investing and also helps the parents to learn more about investing as well. Biggest thing is to include them in the goal setting. What is it that they want
1: and how can we incorporate that in the family goals? One of the big things I talk about in my second book, True Legacy Wealth, is this legacy that we're leaving on wealth. Wealth isn't just always about money. It's also how we think, how we believe, who we know. And it's so great that you say that because our children do what we do, not what we say. When we're pulling the stock market up and saying, hey, what is it that we like to eat? We're showing them not only the part where we're doing the research, but it's having them understand what they need to learn. Absolutely.
0: Especially if you have teenagers and they're on Facebook, if they're on Facebook or Instagram, right? The great way to do that is to say, how much is the stock for Facebook? They're going to see it's a couple hundred dollars. Now, when Facebook started out, you know, it was really cheap. Imagine if we invested in Facebook 10 years ago, how much money we would have. So let's find it. You know, where are you now? Where are you on now? They're on Snapchat. They're on this. You know, are they coming out with a stock and all that? So involve them in something that they're already doing. My son likes Nike shoes. So I told my son that before we buy another pair of Nike shoes, we have to buy Nike stock. Because I'm not buying shoes from a company I don't own anymore if I'm going to pay this much for shoes. The next time he wanted some shoes, we took the amount that it would cost to buy the shoes and we bought the stock. And then when he saved up enough money to buy the shoes again, he bought stock from, he bought shoes from a company he owned. That with his, um, what, what was it? Uh, what are those little games that they play. That's how old I am.
1: I know. No, don't tell me. I- I'm, like, still on Nintendo. Come on. Oh, wow. X- Xbox, I know. What is it? PS something? Oh, oh PS2. Oh, that was old. Was that um, old, too? Is it on PS? It like, Tandor, like I think the
0: oldest one was Wii. I remember when I had a Wii. Uh, right, exactly.
1: I'm still on that age, the Wii, right? That- um. Because every year he wanted a new Xbox, and I
0: was like, yeah, no. We're going to have to start buying from companies that we own or have a vested interest in. Now, you know, he'll he'll tell me, you know, I like these things. They're on the new
1: stock exchange. Mom, did you know that the stock is this and all that stuff? So yeah, mm-hmm. and the, what you're talking about is the purpose. What is your child's purpose and what's your family purpose? This is what Stephen Covey talks about in the seven habits of highly effective family. It's and I like love how- the fact that you do
0: real estate, you know, because... Now you can incor- incorporate children in that process of learning how to do real estate investing. So when they know how to do it as a child, it's not, it's, they're not scaredy cats like me when they become an adult. Because, I, you know, I want to do real estate investing, but everybody that does is like, oh, it's easy, you should do it. But when we're
1: adults, we don't do what we're afraid of. Yeah, and that's what the whole book is about. It's, it's called True Legacy Wealth, Creating Generational Wealth Through Real Estate Investing. And the whole message of the book is teach your children what you're doing. Invest in real estate. Have them go with you when you're looking at properties. They're not just liabilities anymore. They're actually asset because you can write them off. And
0: helping people to understand the difference between an asset and a liability, right? The home you're living
1: in is not an asset. It's a liability. And, and really, your children's are liability because they're not giving anything back. So that's why we tell you, like, hire them to take your office trash out, yep. to to organize, to file, then pay them a wage. Now they're someone in your company that is an asset. But uh, yeah, we love them to death, but they are a liability. Instead of paying them allowance, pay them a wage. Yep. Exactly. Make pay sure you you
0: know child labor laws, but pay them a wage because now you can write that as an expense off from your company. And you're teaching your children how to make money in different ways and be creative. If they want more money, then what can you do
1: around the house or what can you do for this to earn more money? And if you have a business, they can do social media. And yeah. sometimes parents will ask how young can a child work as soon as they're born you can go get a work permit for a child under 18, go to your city office and they'll give you a work permit because they have children who are acting from all ages. You that, think about the Gerber baby. Exactly, if you have to have a business, take pictures of your child, you can put them on your website and then you can pay them as a motto wage. Instead of them taking money of your post-tax dollar, your right? right, they're doing it free, they actually that, enjoy that's it That's
0: really more. smart. We incorporate that because, you know, going back to the four financial languages, The children have those languages or they're being developed into those languages as well, right? Right,
1: absolutely. So depending
0: on the age, you actually want to figure out what their dominant financial language is. Because the reason why is because you either want to encourage more of it or you want to teach them another language as well. So if they get their money and the first thing they do is spend it, now we probably want to teach them the bucket system which is really budgeting, but it's a bucket system for them. So every time they get a dollar, they're just going to break it up four ways into four different buckets. And one of the buckets is spending. One is savings. One is giving, understanding and respecting their language, but also teaching them how to be fiscally bilingual so when they become adults, they can fluently speak all four financial languages.
1: Absolutely. have your book on Amazon?
0: Financial fornication is on Amazon and also on my website. And the four financial languages will be out the end of March. And it will be available on my website as well as amazon.com. Tell us your website. My website is madammoney.com, M-A-D-A-M-M-O-N-E-Y.com. And you can find me on all social media at Ms. Madam Money, M-S-M-A-D-A-M-M-O-N-E-Y.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Tara, my madam money. Okay, listeners, until next time, keep on learning and keep on growing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Go to parentpumpradio.com and click on the pink box on the top of our homepage to listen to our new and archived shows. To be instantly notified of new episodes, subscribe to our RSS feed. The RSS feed button is located at the top of the page where all our shows are featured. And after listening to the show. Go to parentpumpradio.com or our Facebook page to leave your comments, questions, and topic suggestions. And while you're at our website, sign up to receive a free gift. Until next time, have a wonderful week.